Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that we could be here today, and we ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together, and that you would bless our conversation about worship. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love seeing the sun, but it's hard to see. To, yeah. Okay. It does give you a certain angelic glow. Yeah. Oh, well, then. <laughs> I need all the help I can get. <laughs> um, I think probably I, I ought to let you know, and I should have told you this last week. Um, I'm recording these, um, which I, you know, I I don't think that anybody, you know, I'm not going to like you know call you out, you know, by first, middle, and last name. Um, and, and so the you know the only people who are going to really figure out, you know, if they listen to it, who it is, are our own members. Um, but uh, I, I I did that and I posted it last week. Um, I, I'm on iTunes, the, the podcasts, uh, um, Worship and Devotion, or, or I think it's Worship for Devotion. Yes. Or Devotions for Worship? I, I don't remember. i got to look yes. it up. Um, Pastor Podcast. Yeah. Stripes again. Worship. <laughs> That's right. Uh, good memory, Wes. Um, but anyhow... Um, I'm on there. It's, it's some combination of the, that. And uh, uh, there's a, if you go to the church's website, there's a link there. Uh, under my sermons, they'll be in there uh, uh, with uh, SoundCloud. Uh, and so uh, you know, if you do the, uh, the iTunes podcast thing, you can actually subscribe to that, and it'll go immediately into your mailbox. And, uh, and so last week, I do this with my sermons all the time. My sermons go up every, every time I preach. And, uh, um, and so I was doing this with the confirmands. I'm able to do this in a private setting in SoundCloud. You know, and then I would send it because attendance you know, is an issue. Um, you know, and this is a, becoming a, an issue with worship, too. That uh, normal worship attendance is um, becoming maybe twice every six weeks. You know, that's the kind of the national average. Yeah, you know, and so how do you allow people to stay connected? And um, we have a, a gentleman who is technically not a member of the congregation, but he generally has worshipped here, and, and Sunday morning is very difficult for him. And I got an email from him this past week saying, oh, hey, I found that you're on iTunes. He, he listens to all kinds of different podcasts. He's like, that was pretty cool. And I got to attend your Bible study. I was like, oh, I, okay. Yeah. So, you know, but this way also, if you happen to, to miss a, a class and you would be inclined to uh, check out what we did, uh, you could. So for whatever that's worth for you. Um, I was trying to map the, uh, the next few weeks out for us a, a little bit more clearly in my mind, um, talking about worship uh, it can go in all kinds of different directions. Um, I mean, I, I had a whole semester class on worship at the seminary. Um, you don't want that. Uh, and uh, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what are our, our next steps and stuff. And uh, what I'm hoping for today is to spend some time talking about the uh, the church year and the lectionary. Um, next Sunday, uh, we are going to have the opportunity to tour the new building during this time. Um, and, and also after the late service. And it seemed to me that if we're over there and we're talking about the new building, that by the time we got in here, it might not be enough time to really talk. 
And so maybe our time would be better spent, you know, enjoying the building uh, and enjoying some time of fellowship. So that's what we'll do next week. Um, at some point, I want to go through the liturgy, um, looking at it just kind of almost like line by line, uh, but then also kind of comparing the historic liturgy to what we actually do, because <laughs> we don't follow it the way that it is in the hymnal. Um, and there are reasons for that, and then you should probably know that, um, because I get criticized for not following it perfectly, and I say, well, you know, if you were serving in my church, you might not too, so uh, whatever. Um, I'd like to spend some time talking about the sermon, what goes into the sermon, what makes a sermon a good sermon, because I think that uh, um, there, there's going to be some range on, on what that means, uh, you know, and, and, and some other things to think about in terms of, of sermons and preaching, and I would like to maybe do a session on symbolism and architecture, and uh, if we do that one, uh, we might have to do a little bit of a field trip and uh, do class in the, uh, the sanctuary so that we can look at what we actually have there um, and, uh, and talk about what, what the things there are supposed to remind us of, of the things of which they're to remind us. Uh, whatever. All right. So The things for which they were intended to remind us. That's <laughs> eh, not too bad. All right. So the church here. One of the things that we want to remember when we think about uh, what's happening when we come together for worship is that our faith is rooted <coughs> in historic events. Uh, that, you know, these are, are, are things that uh, um, they, they happened. And, and so the reason that we're gathering together is that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, when you think back to the Ten Commandments and it says, you know, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Sabbath day is the seventh day, which is which day of the week? Saturday. But we're here on Sunday. Well, what's up with that? How dare we look at the commandment and say, I'm not going to come on the Sabbath day. I'm going to come on the first day. Well, who decided? Well, First day was on Sunday. Well, that—that's traditionally the way that the it's traditional. Yeah, the week has been you know for ever, ever since Genesis one. You know. Okay. Did they say that was a Sunday? No, they said that the Sabbath day, the seventh day, is the day that we. Right. On the seventh day, right. we rested. Right. But why does that correspond to our Sunday? Our Saturday. I mean. Yeah. It just the calendar, I'm just saying the Oh yeah, calendar, no, there are all kinds of calendar issues that yeah. Wednesday, you know. Yeah. It's, it's arbitrary. Yeah. yeah, but you know, in terms of the numbering, you know, we, we come to a seventh day and we call that seventh day Saturday. You know, and, and I mean it's been this way for a few thousand years, so yeah. I'm not gonna complain yeah. too much. Um and uh um and, and so how do we how is it that we go from Saturday to Sunday? And when did this happen? Well, it was very early, right after Jesus rose from the dead, dead on a Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. And so that then started be calling, calling it the, the Lord's Day. And after, after he rested on the Saturday. Yeah. After he rested on the Saturday and rose on, on the, the Sunday morning, and that became the organizing principle of God's people. And so we gather on that day, the day that, you know, boom, salvation is secured 
because he's risen from the dead. Um, so when we, when we think about you know, having a faith that's rooted in actual events, part of what we're doing when we gather together is going back over those events. We're retelling the story of our salvation. Yeah, Dick. I'm not sure he rested on the Saturday. Oh, <laughs> descending to hell isn't the most restful. <laughs> oh, but it is. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Because we have this image that uh, descending into hell is part of his um, his punishment, and it's not. Shale. It is part of the celebration of his victory over his enemies. So when you hear when you hear that line, I don't. This is the best image I've got. Okay, so we got to go with it. Was he gloating? Sure. <laughs> he was declaring victory. So, <laughs> so here's the, the image that I often think of, and, and this is a, a comparison via the negative. Okay. So World War II, uh, the Nazis take Paris, and there is the Arch of <coughs> Triumph there, right? Okay, if you don't believe me, it's there. And, and so, uh, the arch of victory. And what do the Nazis do? They have a parade in which they go through the arch of victory. If Hitler knew anything, it was this kind of symbolic you know, activity. And he was sending a message as he had his troops do that. We have won. You know, we are going to go through your symbol of victory in your own hometown, to show that we have won the victory. And that's, that's the descent into hell, that Jesus comes and he's, mm -hmm. I have won the victory. And I can even come into your supposed domain and mm -hmm. you know, proclaim that the victory has been won. You know, and, and so, you know, maybe not restful, but kind of yeah. invigorating, I guess. Yeah. Um, Parades are not restful if you're in the parade. Fair, what, fair enough, yeah. There. So what we're trying to do is to tell the story over and over and over again. And, um, um, and so we're talking about a real person in real time, real events. And, um, and one of the things that I think is unique about Christianity is that ulti ultimately our faith is falsifiable. Because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain, and we are still in our sins. And so we keep going back to this one event, that Christ is risen. And so every Sunday of the church year is like a little Easter this is why Sundays in Lent are not Lent. Because it's Easter. Easter is so big that every Lord's Day, that is kind of our organizing focus. That Jesus has won the victory over sin and death for us. And so we're retelling that salvation story year after year after year. And the way that we've done that is through the creation of a lectionary. Um, lectionary comes to us from the Latin for uh, a, basically a reading plan. And, uh, and so this is not something that's new. It's not something that was novel uh, for Christians. Uh, we find our, our first lectionaries within the Christian tradition in the Jewish synagogues um, 
dating to the 6th century before Jesus was even born. You know, that as the Jewish people would come together on the Sabbath day, they had a plan to read the Law and the Prophets. Well, when you get to the early church, most of the early Christians were Jewish. And they just brought that with them. And there are a lot of pieces of the liturgy that really go back to even before Jesus was born. You know, so much of the, of the liturgy comes from the Psalms. And it's just a continuation of the same God who, who <laughs> saves us and saved his people. And, and now he has saved us in Christ. And, and, and we're just part of that, that same line. So the early Christians, they, they followed that plan. And then what they would do is if somebody remembered something that Jesus did, they would retell that. Or they would tell you know, things that Jesus had said. Or you know, maybe they had a letter from an apostle, and they would read that letter, either in full or in part. Um, and you know, there was no New Testament at the time. You, know, you don't get the full New Testament until probably somewhere um, 70... Well, no, because Revelation's probably written in the late 90s. So for 100 years, you don't have the thing all put together yet. Gospels probably come somewhere in the 40s. You have letters coming in you know, 50s and 60s. You know, and, and so you, you have all of these pieces that are out there that different people are using. And it really doesn't become consolidated until somewhere around... Hmm, 325? Constantine, or Constantine becomes, you know, the, the emperor and, uh, he, you know, he makes Christianity, you know, the official religion of the state. And then they start kind of organizing some of these things. And, uh, and so we find the first evidence of an annual commemoration of Jesus' death and resurrection somewhere in the 100s. They would do that at the time of Passover. Why would they do that? Because that's, that's when it happened. And every year they knew when Passover was. How do you know when Passover is? With the moon. Yeah. It, it follows the first full moon after the spring equinox. Yeah. So Easter is always the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. So just kind of keep that straight in your mind and you will never need to look at a calendar again <laughs> to figure out when Easter is. That's, which, exactly, that's why it moves around. Dave, did I see a... No, I just said that you can just Google it. That's probably what they did. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's what I do. The rabbi's name was Google. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they're like... Okay, well, this is, this is the heart and the core of what we believe. This is, this is our salvation. Jesus died and rose for us. Let's have an annual celebration or commemoration of those events. Well, once you've set one date, we are able to then start to kind of go forward and backward from it in order to find other dates. You know, because we know how some of these related to each other. So early on, it seems that uh, certain parts of the Bible were read at corresponding times in the year. You know, they would read Acts at the time of Pentecost. Well, I wonder why. Well, it contains Pentecost. 
You know, they would read um, Acts and Revelation. In fact, we still do this. Um, during the season of Easter, we don't have an Old Testament lesson. We usually read from the book of Acts. Yeah? Why, um, why, how was I asking? Fair enough. Oh, why do Orthodox have different? Okay. Yeah, the Orthodox put the, the calendar a little bit differently because, um, Okay, I'm going to get this confused. We follow the Gregorian calendar, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, and the Orthodox calendar. And they still use the Julian calendar. Okay. Which, you know, I, I just heard a neat thing about this, that the Julian calendar, instead of having a 29th of uh, February and a leap year, would have two February 24ths. <laughs> and I'm sure that was never confusing. <laughs> February 24th, A, and February 24th. Yeah, no, you just get up again, it's February 24th again. Day. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, why Acts and Revelation during the Easter season? Acts, because it's the apostles going out, proclaiming Christ's resurrection. Revelation, because it is the picture in heaven of the victory of Christ. And so they're, they're just going back to that. Um, during Lent, Genesis and Job. Or, no, Genesis during Lent. You have the fall into sin, and you have all kinds of just magnificent bad examples of, of <laughs> sinful behavior. But you also have the beginnings of the promises of the giving of a Savior. You know, so that first promise of a Savior, you know, you will strike his heel, he will crush your head. You know, uh, but uh, all through, you get to Abraham, all the nations will be blessed through you. you know, it's just on and on and on. And then uh, Passion Week in particular, Job, talk about suffering, right? As we look ahead at Jesus suffering unfairly, right? And John, John because his has the largest section uh, on the last days of Jesus' life. And he's the only eyewitness of the gospel writers. And, and this, these, these patterns just, they, they, they just developed uh, over time. So then they could date the church holidays. I, I, I started on this a little bit, but, uh, you know, so there are many who say that the uh, Christian holidays, that basically, you know, we saw pagan holidays and we decided to put a Christian holiday next to it because they were having too much fun and we wanted to ruin their fun by making them do our Christian thing. No, we wanted to have more fun. I like the way you're thinking there, Ed. <laughs> okay. You mentioned Genesis just a little bit ago. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, that he put those in the earth for times and seasons and for years. The idea being that he ordered the universe in such a way that we could keep time in order to remember events for the purpose of <coughs> celebration or maybe repentance or just <coughs> holding out something that's important. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so you know, there were all these holidays and, and you know, oh, well, the church is trying to displace them. And yeah, the church did do some of that. Uh, I think a, a, a really good example of that is All Saints Day. Um, it was somewhat intended to, uh, to displace holidays that had to do um, 
particularly like in uh, Northern Europe, which believed that there was a certain day of the year that the dead, the, 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 the line between the living and the dead uh, became thin and the dead could walk on earth. Well, what better to put next to that than, hey, our dead went to heaven and they are living in victory with Christ, all saints did. And that's you know, kind of the, the idea there. Um, others, we have a rough idea of when they took place. Good Friday and Easter took place during Passover. So we're not trying to supplant Passover. They just correspond. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. Can we figure that one out on a calendar? Fifty days after Jesus uh, uh, rose from the dead, there's a holiday called Pentecost. It, it's it's not music theory here, people. You know, it's you know just you know laying things out. Um, Saints' days, we don't do a lot with Saints' days around here. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we know when some of these people, they died. And so saints days tend to be observed on the day that they, they died. Um, and then, uh, Christmas. Okay. This is kind of fun. Because <laughs> this is the one every year. Oh, Christmas is just a retelling of the story of Horus with the mythric mythology and whatever. Saturnalia. <clears throat> Saturnalia, you know, the Yule Log and all of this crazy stuff. There is an actual reason that uh, we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. And, uh, and it's not because, you know, it's the longest day of the year, because, or the longest night of the year, because it's not. They knew when, you know, the longest night was, and you're a good four days later. So, why December 25th? Well, if you go back and, you know, they could figure out roughly what year Jesus was crucified. And they knew that on that year, uh, that date would have corresponded to March 25th. Well, what does that have to do with anything? There is a tradition. I am not saying that this tradition makes any sense whatsoever. (laughs) Because in my mind, it doesn't. But there is a tradition, a belief that the great saints were conceived the same day that they died. Or another said differently, that they died on the anniversary of their conception. So when we get to March 25th, if you look at a, a calendar with a liturgical um, you know, season on it, you will see that March 25th is the Annunciation. Oh, it's the day that Gabriel came and told to Mary, you're going to have a baby. Well, how can you figure out what that is? Well, you just, you know, go years backwards because he was a great saint and that was the day that he had to have been conceived. Okay. But that's how you get December 25. Yeah. There's also a dispute uh, uh, between the Eastern and Western. There is. And we're going to come to that. Okay. Somebody supposedly had a census record in Rome. Yeah. Had a census record. Yeah. 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 There's all kinds of... Yeah. But what, we're going to come to that because um, yeah, I, we don't have any of our, our members here who have an uh, uh, Orthodox family here, but uh, the Orthodox don't celebrate the Christmas 
on nope. Jan- or on December 25th, do they? No. When do they do it? January 7th. 6th. January 6th, yeah. So, so we're going to come back to that, yeah. So we follow a, uh, a church calendar, and uh, uh, this, is, this is a pretty good image of what that ends up looking like. Um, we start over here with Advent, and we work our way around um, clockwise. And Advent always starts somewhere end of November, first part of December. The first roughly half of the church year, we're telling the story of Jesus. We're going through the events of his life. So when you think through the, the, the readings, or if you take your you know, sheet that I gave you, and you look back at what our gospel lessons have been up to today, they're all these events and these stories about things that Jesus did. And, uh, uh, and that's going to be true all the way through until um, Pentecost Sunday. And then after Pentecost, it becomes a little bit more in terms of Jesus' teaching, uh, his parables, and we also have his miracles in that section. Okay? That, that, that's, you know, so you have the events of his life up here, and as we tell the story of God's people, we get into teachings, parables, and Jesus' miracles. All right? So we start with Advent, and we have this preparatory time uh, waiting for Jesus to be born, waiting for the coming of a Savior, um, which corresponds to our waiting for Jesus to return. And so you have what kind of becomes a mixed theme in, in terms of uh, the, uh, the preaching and the teaching related to, to the season. Originally, Advent was about six weeks long. It was 40 days like Lent. It was a, a season of repentance to prepare for the coming of the Savior. And, uh, and so we've shortened it to, to the, the four Sundays before uh, Christmas, and, uh, and we kind of wade into the Old Testament with this anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, while at the same time we live in the New Testament waiting for Jesus to come again. Um. What is the color for Advent? Blue. Blue. Did you grow up with it being blue? No, I don't remember. Yeah. So, the liturgical colors originally, traditionally, are purple, um, red, white, uh, green, and black. Blue is not on that list. And, uh, and originally, the color for Advent was purple. I remember that from when I was a kid. Mm. You know, we had purple Advent calend- or, um, mm-hmm. candles um, with the one uh, yeah. rose-colored. It's not pink, it's rose. <laughs> there are people who will get very upset about that. I like to say pink when I'm with them. I can't those <laughs> candles not too long ago in this church. What's that? Seems to me we had those color candles you did. not very long ago. You in did. This church, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. did. Yeah. Um, oh, did we change that after I came, or was that shortly before? I think that's something that PK may have done. Don't remember. Um, but uh, um, there is a tradition out of 
um, the the uh, the Eastern Church, and there's a, a, a tradition out of England uh, of instead of using uh, a, a good deep violet for Advent, they would use a violet that had a little bit more blue in it. There's even a, a specific name for this this color that's related to the the, the town in in England. Um, and I don't I don't have the notes in front of me, so I I don't remember the name of it, but. Uh, um, they that kind of developed over time. There was the uh, the Church of Sweden adopted that color. That church happens to be Lutheran. The official state church of Sweden is Lutheran. And uh, so, anybody want to take a stab at what year the official color for Advent became blue for uh, for us here in the U.S.? Nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy-eight. Nineteen seventy-eight. Lutheran Book of Worship came out. Um, and that's the first time that, you know, oh, we're going to use blue for Advent. Um, kind of a little fun fact there. And so we tend to use royal blue. And because uh, uh, Jesus is coming to be our, our king. We enter into a season of Christmas. Christmas is not just a day. It's 12 days. I don't know why it's 12 days. I, I looked, you know, I scoured my books. I searched. Google didn't have a good answer for me. It just said it is 12 days. The 12 days of Christmas. And so it's 12 days long. And so you usually end up with two Sundays in Christmas. Because, again, I mean, it's such a great thing. Why would you only celebrate it on one day? Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so it ends with the Feast of the Epiphany which we celebrate on January 6th, which is the Eastern Church's Christmas. And so that's really why we put Epiphany there. Yeah. It's to celebrate the coming of the wise men. You know, you got gift giving kind of on both ends. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Ed. The, the, the white the, the white all seem to be ringed with some other color. Is that meaningful? or No. Um, that's just decoration. Yeah, because like Epiphany, the color for Epiphany is actually green. Okay. You know, and so there's a little bit of green sort of around it, okay. you know, to kind of set it off. But, it, you know, the, the season is really uh, green. Although you have a couple of different festivals in there where you get white. Uh, you got um, um, Epiphany is white. Uh, you have um, Jesus' baptism uh, is white. Uh, this year, uh, the purification of Mary and uh, the dedication of Jesus happened to fall on a Sunday. Uh, we didn't change the colors because, you know, I'm like, whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, we left it as green. Uh, but you know, the official color for that is white. You know, so you have a couple of events like that. that um, Transfiguration. Because cause in Transfiguration, at the end, uh, we, we changed to uh, white for the, uh, the altar clause. The purification of Mary, um, the Old Testament law said that when a woman had a child, 40 days later, um, she had to offer a sacrifice, you know, for her purification. <coughs> Guess how many days after Christmas the purification of Mary is? 40 days. 40 days, yeah. So we have our set date, and then we have our, our feast that, you know, follows afterwards. So, um Epiphany, well, first of all, Christmas is white. Uh, white symbolizes joy. It symbolizes holiness, purity. It's the color uh, of God. So Jesus, uh, in, during the transfiguration, his robe becomes so white that no one could bleach it that white. 
you know, so that's why they choose white for that. Uh, green is the color of life and of growth. You know, and so we, we use that in those two seasons there. He um, would be very thankful that he didn't have to breach, that he didn't have to bleach his uh, robe because fulleries were not very nice places. No, they were terrible places, yeah. Um, and so Epiphany can be as many as nine Sundays. This year it's, I think, seven. <coughs> Why? Why would it vary? Um, whenever Ash Wednesday starts? And Ash Wednesday starts in relationship to Easter. 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 So Easter, you know, we find that date, and then we work our way backwards. You know, and, and so um, we either have all of Epiphany or part of it. Okay? Hmm. This is really nerdy stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, we get into Lent. Lent is 40 days, mm-hmm. starting with Ash Wednesday, no Sundays. Because if you actually look at a calendar, you know, that, that time period is longer than 40 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is inclusive of Holy Week, and uh, so you have Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, uh, and all of those things in there. One major challenge in Lent, if you are Irish and Roman Catholic, March 17th is a feast day in the midst of a time that's supposed to be fasting. March 17th is? St. Patrick's. Patrick's Day, yeah. You know, and so uh, Irish Catholics actually got a special dispensation that they could have one day, uh, March 17th, to celebrate uh, even in the midst of the, uh, the fasting. Isn't that the most important day of the year? For them, it's pretty important, yeah. Um, from Lent, we move into the Easter season. Easter is 50 days. So you got 40 days of repentance and then 50 days of celebration. Um, I have, I've read a couple of articles um, with a, I think was a, a kind of a neat idea that if we're going to fast for 40 days during Lent then maybe we should be feasting for 50 days during Easter you know, and not necessarily talking about you know, food per se but you know, how do you celebrate Jesus' celebration or Jesus' resurrection so What's that? Decorate. You could decorate. There are all kinds of things you could do. It's a great other eat. <laughs> Easter comes, the Easter season includes the Ascension Day, 50 days after uh, Jesus' resurrection, ends at Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then we enter into this, this second part of the, uh, the church here, uh, which is called the Ordinary Time. This used to be, for those of you, you know, back in the day, the Trinity season. Mm-hmm. Mm. If you remember that that type of language, so you have Pentecost Sunday. The following Sunday is the only Sunday of the church year that is dedicated to a doctrine of the church. Everything else is a person or an event. Anybody know what the Sunday is after Pentecost? Sits here, Holy Trinity. Trinity Sunday. Yeah. And it's the day that we, we you know, kind of meditate on and, and uh, celebrate this mystery of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as he's uh, revealed himself to us. It's, a, it's also the Sunday that we tend to pull out the Athanasian Creed because Athanasius goes into that and just really, you know, digs into this whole Trinitarian controversy. And it still remains controversial. Um, so, uh, and, and then we, we go through, and this could be... Let me think. As many as I want to say, twenty-nine 
Sundays. So just as Epiphany kind of shifts depending upon where Easter falls, then you have a, a compensatory uh, shift in the ordinary time as well. Um, the exception being the last three Sundays. The last three Sundays of the church year always focus us on Jesus' return, and they're almost like a pre-advent. And it's even a little bit frustrating sometimes because the readings that you will have sometimes are the corresponding readings from a different gospel. So you might read the same event from Matthew in those last three Sundays and get the same event in Mark once you get into Advent. I think that was poor planning, but I didn't have any say in it, so. As a pastor, how do you feel about having the three-year lectionary assigned? Is it a mixed blessing? It is, yeah. <laughs> Trapped, but yet it focuses and... Um, I love the church year, okay? Right. Um, the three-year lectionary, I do think, is a mixed uh, blessing... Uh, I like that, you know, we're not just reading the same lessons year on year um, uh, and that we actually have a plan. Right. Those, it's not those, just whatever you feel right. like because I think that really can skew a pastor's agenda in his yes. congregation because I'm only going to preach about yes. XYZ and the other, you know, 60 I'm never touching. Right. You know, and so looking around here, probably everybody other than Wes uh, grew up with a one-year lectionary. Um, that really didn't come until uh, the 70s, you know, in, in the late 70s. And, and so every year, you read through the same readings year on year. What's the benefit of reading the same thing over and over and over again? You get it in your head. Yeah, exactly. What was that? You get, you get it, it in your head. head. Yeah. And I've, I've talked with a couple of different professors about this, you know, and the, the trade-off is kind of, you know, which is more valuable to have more scripture or to know a smaller portion of scripture really, really well. I think there's valuable points on both sides of that argument. And I think that the three-year lectionary is a good middle ground because you're telling some of the same stories I love that it's focused on Jesus. You know, I, I, so there was this guy in my dorm when uh, uh, I was in college um, who was an atheist. Uh, I think I wrote about him recently in something. Uh, but, but anyhow, um, he's an atheist and we had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And um, he came to faith. He came to faith on Easter Sunday, visiting a, 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 he decided to go to a Baptist church that was what was nearby. And you know what the sermon was on that day? The Ten Commandments. I was like, what's wrong with you? Now, is there anything wrong with preaching on the Ten Commandments on Easter Sunday? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, this is our salvation. So I like that. The, I like that it holds these, you know, the retelling the story over and over again, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, and you know, it's it's, it's about what Jesus says, and it's not about what I think. Okay, um, 
and actually it's not sinful to preach on the Ten Commandments on Easter. I just, you know, drives me nuts. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm confident. Yeah. Do you think, though, that there's a danger of having sort of the same problem that you get with any middle ground, which is you have the chance of getting the worst of both worlds? Yes, there is. Yeah. You know, and so um, this is getting us a, a little bit into the, the, the sermon one when we get there, um, which would be for a while, so maybe you'll forget by then. Um, but when I look at the pericopes, the readings that are assigned for the, uh, the season, I will look for themes that go across weeks. And I haven't done it too recently. Well, actually, I did with um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And th- those tied together. Those, you know, it's all from the kind of the same spot. Uh, but there are other times I'll, I'll see a theme that goes through and, and draw on that, you know, and kind of have a little sermon series that are rooted in the, uh, the pericopes. Okay? Yeah. One pastor told me he, he heard a sermon, a Christmas Eve sermon, which is devoted to a scholarly discussion of whether Cyrenius was governor of Syria or governor in Syria. Yeah. Who cares? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Jesus was born. Merry Christmas. Yeah, right. I'll send Cyrenius a card. Yeah. And, and again, I think that that's what the church here does for us is it helps us to have an eye on retelling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be confining sometimes, you know, and so there have been times that I've felt free to just kind of completely, you know, toss the lectionary and do something completely different. What I think is dangerous, and you alluded to this, is that pastors have opinions and we sometimes have hobby horses that we like to go back to over and over and over again. And it, that can be very unhealthy if that becomes the theme of, of every sermon that you're preaching. And uh, I worry a little bit, you know, about sometimes our, our non-denominational brethren and sister. No, you know, that was... Sister. Sister, yeah. Um, it's brethren, so why not? Um, but uh, I, I worry sometimes that in, in some ways psycholo- psychology and self-help have supplanted scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, then the point of the message becomes, you know, how do you become, well, you know, our good friend Joel Osteen, your best self now? You know, and uh, uh, okay, there, there's this video out there, there um, that has uh, pictures of the saints suffering. You know, these classic paintings, and they make the mouths move so that, and, and, yeah. and they're quoting Joel Osteen, you know? You know, they're being eaten by lions, and, you know, it's, uh, I'm having my best life, you know, and this kind of thing, you know? It can all of a sudden become like this, you know, glorious, you know, everything is wonderful. You know, and God wants me to be happy all the time. And uh, baloney, you know, and it just doesn't fit with the the narrative of the scripture. Did I answer it? Did I over answer it? No, that was good. I kind of just, because some people feel like, well, I'm forced to preach on blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yet... Make sure you got kind of everything covered too. Yeah. I only, you know, I only ever preach from Romans, and I don't ever do anything else. Yeah. A... I can tell you that my uh, my my old Baptist pastor uh, spent a lot of time 
discussing why we weren't Pentecostals. Okay. Yeah, it's, there is part of me that is drawn to the idea of we're going to take a year and go through the Gospel of John and just you know dig. I'd like that. Um, and I might do that someday. But I really like this flow yeah. that, that helps us to you know, go through the whole thing. You know, plus, I'm not sure I could get through John in a year. <laughs> so the churches I grew up in, they, they did not have the lectionary. Um, and so there would be sermon series on <coughs> Proverbs or John. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you would also hear of some pastors where they would get the readings out of the Reader's Digest. And and that's actually a model that I'm very comfortable with because it, it matches the old lectionaries where yeah. we're just going to take scripture yeah. and we're going to listen to a portion of it and work our way through it. Yeah. I think that that is, could be very, very valuable and a very good experience. Um, I, I, but then, I, then, I like the repetitiveness of this uh, in a way because it does get into your head uh, but that doesn't mean you can't add to it right with, with something on top yeah but but even with you know the preaching through proverbs and the danger in that is okay i've preached all the way through proverbs yeah and then i'm going to read ecclesiastes and then i'm going to you know jump back into job yeah and you know who i haven't talked about in any of it you know, and, and I'm not saying that that was your experience, right. but it could happen, and I Absolutely. think it does happen sometimes. Um, you know, and, and so the, the, when you look at, at the, the lectionary, um, the way that they are, are organized deals with telling the story of Jesus. And, uh, you know, and if, if you've got a church that's reading the lectionary, you are going to hear what Jesus did, what he said at some point during, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. You know and, and I dig that. I, and I find that very helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm out of time, um, but uh, you can read this slide on your handout on your own. Um, the one thing that I, I do think is kind of interesting that I would like to highlight with you just really, really quickly. Uh, first, you know, gospel leads, Old Testament, you know, they match up. But with this epistle reading, we do some interesting things. And the one of the ones that I enjoy is during the ordinary time that we do what we call a semi-continuous reading of the, uh, the letters, the epistles. And so this summer we're going to read almost all of Romans. Not the sections that we, uh, we've already read, because some of them have already come up, mm-hmm. but we're going to read major sections of Romans. We'll read almost all of Philippians and almost all of 1 Thessalonians. And then next year it'll be different ones. And the year after that, it'll be different ones. Um, I think there are only two books of the, uh, the Bible that we don't ever touch. And one is Obadiah. And I'm trying to remember what the other one is. I meant Esther. to look that up. Esther. I think you're right. I think it is Esther. Yeah. And, uh, which is the only book of the Bible that doesn't name God. Uh, and uh, so uh, I, I think that that is kind of a, a cool thing. But... All right, we gotta we gotta wrap this up and get back to church. Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that uh, uh, that we have your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to read it and to have it guide us in worship. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to to hear it, 
and to rejoice in it. And we thank you for this gift of worship that allows us to, uh, to gather together as your people and to kind of marinate in your, your grace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.